Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. All right, Ed, we just talked about before the show started, we were hitting up on like some movies and stuff. You recently saw a bunch of trailers for movies when you went and seen a movie, correct? I, I did last night. I went and seen 1917, which by the way is an awesome movie. And I seen a couple of comic, you know, we love our comic movies. So I saw the trailer for the Harley Quinn. And I saw the trailer for the Wonder Woman movie. Uh, both looked okay. We'll say, just say, okay. You know, to me, DC has, DC has a lot to work on still. I, I believe it. Yeah. I don't, I think that they have too much, uh, too much out there. Uh, versus like Marvel, they literally worked on a timeline and an overall plot, and then they dissected it into mm-hmm. a bunch of different things. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm a DC guy. I'm, I'm, I'm all DC, but I enjoy anything comic book in a sense, you know? Um, and I think, DC needs to start going the way Marvel kind of did to make it interesting and, and to kind of build that. Like, for instance, you really wanted to see Endgame after seeing all the other ones previously to that because you're like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Versus it almost feels like the like DC has kind of, they're like standalone movies. Like, I enjoy I enjoyed the Joker movie. I really did. But I really hope they build off of that because if they don't, but I think they're going to lose everything i read said they have no intention of that joker ever crossing over yeah just it's sad with like the new batman which so my problem with dc some of this stuff is casting all right they did a good job jason momoa excellent aquaman uh cavill i thought was a good superman but like batman man they are struggling like yeah yeah oh this is so like i and i love Batman. I love the story of Batman. By the way, it's his 80th anniversary is this year. I know. Um, I'm excited. There's a special edition Lego Batmobile for 250 euro here. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, come on. The guy from the Robin, what's his name? Robert Pattinson, the guy from Twilight, like yeah. Ben Affleck. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not pleased with that, my friend. Yeah, no, they're not. To me, they're not doing a good job with the casting of Batman and Wonder Woman. Really, just overshadowed everything because it was probably one of the better DC movies. Yes, um, Suicide Squad. I liked it. It did not get the great credit that it deserved, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was all right. I mean, it was different. It was what it was. Yeah, I it mean, was. it had Margot Robbie. So, mm-hmm. uh, but then her Harley Quinn seems different and this upcoming film. So that's kind of why I'm like concerned. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, and that's the, that's the thing is, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tie this back cause I, I tend to do that, but I tie it back to kind of what we're talking about today. Uh, we're talking about the tactics of influence and we have like, basically we have nine tactics that we're going to go through. But when I think about these movies and I think about the direction, like I said, the direction that Marvel went versus the direction that DC has gone. You would think if one would look at the success, the box office, all the things, you know, that Marvel gained off of that or Disney, actually, because Disney owns them. Yeah. If you look at that, you would think, okay, DC, 
And Warner Brothers, maybe you should go that direction. You should be influenced about, you know, those tactics that they used to help you increase what you have. Because right now, I mean, you think about it. There is no, there's no long storyline there that, that's going to keep fans coming back. It's just a bunch of new ones that are just, oh, we got this. Oh, we got this. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of, I mean, yeah. even you, yeah. but you mentioned, you mentioned also that you've seen the, uh, the trailer for the Black Widow. Now we know what happened in the movie and we're not mentioning it, but at the same time, you're still interested in going and seeing it because you want to see her before her type situation. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it looked it looked pretty good. They had a little comedy in it, you know. And you know, Marvel has had a problem with casting on one of their. Well, they first of all they've had one film franchise they've never been able to get off the ground, and that's the Fantastic Four. Oh yeah, good. And then, yeah, they've never been able to get that one. And then they've had to recast Spider Man a few times, which is a major player in Marvel. Uh, and I really like the kids that's doing it now. Uh, hopefully that's who they keep using. But yeah, but wasn't it so? Wasn't it Sony that was really doing the original Spider Man's, and now it's now it's the kid that they got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Sony originally, and Tobey Maguire was okay at the time. You know, between that and X Men, that saved Marvel. Like Marvel was pretty much facing bankruptcy before those two movies, and it saved the entire company. So yeah, Fantastic Four. I used to really like that comic too, and I'm very disappointed they haven't really been able. To, I mean, there's been three movies, and none of them have been really great. Mm-hmm. I also love Daredevil, another one that was not a good movie, but a great TV show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You talk about on the Netflix? Yes, I, definitely. That was great. I thought it was amazing. And and to, to be honest, in all honesty, I won't let my children watch it. Uh, but I, I wouldn't either. Uh, that and The Punisher. That one now, The Punisher, goodness. That was that's something <laughs> else. But for it to just no more. You know, I'm like, why? That was a very popular show. Like, why would you get rid of that? Now, I'm, I think, and this is what I think happened. They couldn't keep doing it because of that contract with the Disney and whatnot. Yeah, I think it is tied to Disney Plus. I think you'll actually see a relaunch of some of them shows. I'm hoping uh, so. I think it was. Yeah, I think the launch of Disney Plus is the reason those shows had to come off. Because mm-hmm. um, even the worst of the group. Well, I didn't like Iron Fist. The Jessica Jones, I, I enjoyed. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> no. we could do a whole episode just on comic book movies and and shows and influences they have just on us. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that's the point is I I knew we had talked about it before, and to me, I felt like it could really relate if one organization would start looking at the tactics of another organization. And with that being said, mm. when now now let's 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 uh let's downsize that if one person could look at the tactics of another person to help them in their efforts of, of uh, proper, properly influencing others, right? Uh, that That's kind of how I see it. Uh, but basically, to kind of give the audience an idea, we're not... Uh, we're not going to go through the entire article. We pulled out the important things of what we saw with this article, but it's it's an article that was published by Amy Shannon, and it's an article that's actually published uh, at Kent State University, uh, the Center of Corporate and Professional Development, and the article is actually called "Use These Nine Tactics to Effectively Influence Others." and Seeing the show is completely about influence. Normally, I mean that's pretty much what it is. It's leadership and influence. What a what a wonderful way to kind of start. We're starting this new year off where we we're giving people tools to help them in their efforts. You know, we the past couple few shows we've talked about 
basically goals and self and, you know, and how does oneself become better? Well, I think this ties in it. I think this ties in because this takes a look at self and how self is doing things to influence others, but also adding to their tool bag, these different types of tactics on how to do it. So we're talking about tactics, techniques, and procedures for influencers. Absolutely, man. I mean, that's the way I see it. Personally, I think when I went through this, and, and I'm glad we got rid of most of the material uh, from the article, and P, and I'll make sure I link the articles if somebody wants to go back and read the entire article. I'll link that in the show notes. But what we pulled out of it, I think is going to help people become more knowledgeable and understand what we actually mean by you know effectively influencing people and using specific techniques. And as we go through it, you, know, you and I can probably... Well, most likely, we're going to uh, be able to associate with those and then give examples so people understand what those examples mean. Absolutely. All right. So, Ed, let's let's jump right into this, man, because we really need to look at basically the starts of what this article means. And that's what we kind of pulled out. Uh, but this is what the author has to say. Do you ever wish people would just do what you asked and that you could get people to follow through on their part of the project? All right, so the first sentence, I don't know how many times, Ed, that I've felt that way. You've done school just like I have. Have you ever, Ed, have you ever been involved in a project uh, with a group within school, like a class, even though it's like online and whatnot? Actually, uh, Master Leader course, um, we have a big group project uh, at the end of it. So, yeah, I have. I've done it in the face-to-face classroom. Yeah. It Does it, did it seem difficult to get people like to buy onto things and to do things. So one of the challenges actually in that was, and I think we had like a six person, maybe seven person group. One of the challenges is the differences in the individual. So you have different people with different military occupational specialties, different experiences, different levels of education, and you're trying to bring them together in this team and then me at the time, you know, I'm the instructor of the instructor course. And one of the things we were being graded on was the presentation. So I'm trying to tell them some, you know, some hints to help make the presentation flow better, look better, how to transition, you know. And there were parts uh, during that project where I was like, listen, and you don't want to ever play the I teach the instructors card. But at the same time, they already know that from being in the class with you for, you know, a week or whatever. And it's like people just didn't want to listen to these things that would help our, all of our grades. So I'm like, Hey, like, come on, let's, it's like wrangling cats, man. It's, it's rough. (laughs) Uh, Herding cats. I've loved, I've always loved it. Herding cats. Yeah. Uh, So, Hey, so this is what the author also has to say then about this. Let's see. Maybe you wish you could get your point across better which that's what you're saying, or perhaps you have trouble saying no. Now, I know people like that also, Ed. The solution to all of these situations is learning how to influence others well. And I'm going to add to that, influence others through specific tactics. Now, uh, as we go through this, I think, Ed, to me, one of the key pieces to know how to deploy the right tactic is emotional intelligence. Oh, yeah. Because if you have, if you have that understanding, right? You have that understanding of what's going on. That self awareness. Yes, 
then you're able to use which one is going to effectively work at that time. It's kind of like, oh, I see this. Boom, throw that up there. Oh, no, that didn't work. Uh, let me try this. But most of the time, you should be able to you know, hit upon it pretty much. And I love, I love the direction the author is going with all this. It's almost simplifying things. Now, in the actual article, she talks about manipulation and things like that. And then talking about how influence, it could be seen as manipulation, but then maybe not. And we've talked about it, too, on the show. How is it really manipulation? (laughs) What's that? That was way back, too. Oh, it was. But it can't. But. To answer that, I think it could be seen as such, but then at the same time, not be. So it just depends upon the point of view or what's going on. Yeah, no, I think we talked about it. I think it might have been episode one when we were talking about like what an instinctive influencer is that we talked about the differences. Um, one of the things that I really thought the author said that was honestly like, you know, oh, I agree with this a thousand percent is that the ability to influence others is is isn't just an innate ability that some leaders are born with it is a skill that you can learn and then this goes back to one of our other episodes right it's some knowledge it's knowledge that you gain through experience over a period of time that then becomes develops in the wisdom on how to influence others oh yeah so i thought that that was that was one of the more powerful sentences for me very early in the article too is that it's a skill. It's not just something that you are, you know, I didn't wake up and was like, Hey, I'm an influencer. You know, I went into kindergarten, like leading the conga line because everybody wanted to follow my lead. You know what I mean? You know, it's funny that you say all this because, because I look back and I think about conversations we've had individually, just you and I, or in maybe in groups, but not on the show where you were, a, you seem to be a big advocate on Yes, I can have some leadership abilities born with those, but a leader is actually made. Is am I saying that correct? Is what you usually say? Uh, yeah, it is. I think that there are people who are just born with something, but it has to be you know it has to be developed and refined uh, to become a real true asset or skill. Just like I think there are people who maybe never developed that that you know could have been great leaders, but they just never developed those that 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 it factor to mm-hmm. uh, become that way. Oh yeah. I mean, the mo- sometimes it's, it's like one moment that makes people like, Oh wow. And the light bulb ding comes on that allows them to continue on that process. And then there are other times where people will, will kind of retract from a situation because maybe fear sets in of sorts. And then maybe they just realize, Oh, this isn't the type of situation I want to be in, but they didn't get to work through it kind of thing. So I, I definitely agree with you. I, I firmly believe also that people are born, they are born with certain abilities, mm-hmm. but it has to be refined. And usually that's refined through practice, um, through what we talked about last show, self-development, what we talked about a couple shows ago with the smart goals and, 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 and basically building goals to become better at things. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. there's just, there's a multitude of things, but I think if people actually put in the effort or actually try and use things, just small things here and there, energy. You know, if, if, if I don't see something's going the direction it needs to go, you know, maybe test out one of these theories. Maybe test out one of these tactics and see if you can kind of steer it a certain direction. I did it. Hey, man, I did it just the other day. I was sitting, <clears throat> we're about to start our training meeting, and 
and oh. I'm about to, <laughs> I'm about to to get you fired up a second. You ready to get fired up? Is what it, I'm about to say. Let's get fired up. Let's do it. Yeah. See, <laughs> I'm about to fire you up because I had this individual, um, and I'm not going to even mention his CMF or basically his career field. Uh, oh, boy. but <laughs> he was very set against the idea of we shouldn't put so much focus on education or civilian education because the one job of the army is to deploy deploy and to fight and kill the enemy engage with and destroy the enemies of the united states <laughs> yeah pretty much that was his mindset and so i was leading him in all kinds of directions a certain way and obviously uh you know i was the obviously i was there the more ranking guy sitting there talking but i was trying to get him to say certain things through logic which we're going to talk about a little bit through participation okay. We'll talk about a little bit. And then also, also through policy, which we'll talk about in a little bit, right? <laughs> but the whole story, the whole, the whole idea and conversation basically came about when you and I have talked about it already. We kind of chit chat back and forth real quick this past week because you know just as well as I do, there's a new TC 7.22-7, which and, and it's open to the public. It's not like it's secret or anything. Yeah. I, it's it's un you know unlimited distribution. So those of you who want to check it out, but it's brand new. So you may end up getting the old one, and the old one's not as good. But it's the non commissioned officer guide, and I I don't I mean I'm gonna tell you I went through that guide and I really loved a lot of the stuff I was reading. But his his argument was well he hadn't seen it yet everything yet, and he said well is it all talking about how we need to get more education and stuff like that the stuff that just wastes our time and I thought to myself I'm like ooh this is the perfect time to interject some influence, you know, but what do you think about when somebody says that to you? Yeah. So you have to be able to overcome those negativity biases like that. Um, and, and like you said, some of them are harder to reach than others, especially the education thing that has been going on for a number of years. People have been like, well, I don't understand why we have to go to college. We're soldiers. I can't, I didn't come in the army. I know you've heard that one. I didn't come in the army to go to college. I came in the army to avoid college. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, but we got to develop. We got to get smart. You know, we can't be a bunch of Neanderthals. Uh, if people didn't get educated, we'd still be running around here with clubs. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's a reason behind those things. And for you as a creative or I'm sorry, critical thinker, you have to come up with a way to overcome that negativity bias too, especially you know, if, if he's doing this at a meeting in front of others and, and you know, your uh, he he's he could damage your reputation, honestly, if, if you ask me, because, you know, he's kind of calling you out. But I know Brian. I know who Brian is as a, as a thinker. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that's not what was happening at all. No, I did. Uh-huh. It, it all took place. It all took place before the meeting, before really. a, a Oh, OK. There. Yeah, I'm. And and I mean I I want to I don't want to get too in detail about what happened until we actually get into the nine tactics because I want to kind of yeah I want to yeah. explain like in some of those tactics how I how I was like trying to use that to influence him in a different direction or just to get him a, to agree with me on things which did work I will tell you that but uh, hey let's this very next part I like the simplicity of what the author has to say Ed I really do so here we go. Influence is simply attaching pain to the direction you don't want someone to move toward and attaching pleasure to the direction to which you do want them to move. That means our natural reactions to people are forms of influence. 
Even a cold reply or a warm word of encouragement can influence how people will behave in the future. If you're not intentional and conscious of how influence works, those natural reactions could make matters worse. See, that all that right there said to me, Ed, was that's being uh, very aware of self, like we've talked about, and that's using that emotional intelligence to understand the situation and know how to maybe properly engage. Maybe it, it could be, you know, when I see people and I notice, like for instance, you know, the greeting of the day thing, right? That's with some people, that's a really important thing and they get mad if people don't do it back and forth, but I don't so much get mad with it anymore. Well, I really never really did, but, but I make sure I still do it, but I do it in a manner where I don't do it in a negative tone towards someone because they didn't say it first to me. Maybe I say it first to them, Mm -hmm. but it's the tone I use. They tend to use it back in also a positive tone. Right, so I'm I'm listening. I, I'm not only am I saying it, but I'm thinking about how I'm saying, it, and I'm also listening my tone as I say it to them. And in return, the response is almost mimicked of what I had to say. That's uh, I, was it Kevin Cruz? Maybe we talked about that 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 kind of uh, impact and influence of the mimicking. And we talked about like when you go out to eat, and you know, some people mimic that rate of. Uh, speed of somebody else eating except um, except when you eat with Tom Butler. Oh yeah, no, you can't mimic that. You get indigestions <laughs> messing with Tom Butler. Yeah. But uh but that's a good example of, you know, not being it's not intentional. It's not uh you know, I didn't say I'm going to eat at this rate to make you eat at that rate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It kind of just works out that way. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and and I I really like the idea of what the author is saying about attaching pain and then also attaching pleasure. Because sometimes we don't realize that. Now, what is one person's pain may be somebody else's pleasure, though. So you may want to be a little careful. And then you got to know the person, right? Sometimes, you know, sometimes it works. I don't tend to try to influence a conversation until I know a, somebody's stance on it, right? If I don't know their stance, they may already be in agreement with me. So I may be fighting a battle uphill. If you remember. When we went through the instructor course, that was one of the things that uh, was stressed is not letting your stance be known as an instructor so that you don't influence the thought process of your class. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, and that just popped ahead when you're to my head where you were reading that is that that's one of the reasons you don't want to in a conversation. uh, If you you know, if you're trying to figure things out, you maybe you don't want to let your stance know because. Somebody who's subordinate to you, they're they're probably going to go into some kind of uh, compliance with you and agreement with you rather than stating their case. And they may have a better standpoint than you do. They may have a better thought process than you do, but you're going to miss it because they're just going to they're just going to be sheep and follow you. Oh, I agree. And in, in a sense, you're basically kind of rewiring things, right? You're instead of the flow chart saying, okay, if they say this, go here. If they say this, go there. You, you may be rewiring that and you're not allowing for that free thinking or that creative thinking of them. And that's why sometimes we do have to kind of be careful about how far we could make matters worse as the author says. But at the same time, if you know a specific job or task or whatever it is, needs to go a certain direction, well, then sometimes you have to engage certain ways. And that's the whole point of these nine tactics that we're going to go over. Basically, 
use these nine tactics for effectively influencing others. You ready to jump into these, man? I am not. I have to scroll down my page. But then I will be ready to jump into these nine tactics of effectively influencing others, Brian. I'd like to start with, uh, you want me to start with number one? You want to do number one? Go ahead, man. Hit it. I'll do number one. Logic. Convince someone by using factual logic and step-by-step reasoning. So this is something I would imagine kind of went on with the example you gave earlier of the the meeting. You know, like, matter of fact, I just had a, a, a discussion with the captain that I work with because he was late to an appointment mm. and they reported it as a missed appointment. Right. Oh, no. But his, his, now he, he tried to give me a logical argument. His logic was how long do they have for an appointment? And I'm pretty sure, you know, without looking it up, it's about 30 minutes for an appointment. He says, okay. So I was in there and it took 10 minutes. Therefore I was still within the 30 minute window so I wasn't, I didn't miss the appointment. I wasn't late, truly. And I'm like, that doesn't, I mean, I got what you're trying to do. He's tra- he was trying to convince me with some logic uh, thinking, but that's not, that. that's not. You, you know the policy generally is this, this, this. So yeah, he, he tried. It did not work. Um, they're not going to, you know, nothing will happen. I get it. He was there for his appointment, but he was, he was late, a little bit late. So. <laughs> Just a, an example of, of using logic to try to sway me. But in this case, it was not good. He did not influence me to be like, you know what? You're right. Uh, <laughs> I know the policy <laughs> and you violated it. That would definitely fall into the, the idea that would fall into that idea of natural reactions could make matters worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and you say logic and I, that was used in that conversation. And this is, it's, I don't know how many times I've used it. And I always seem to get either the same answer or something very similar to it. But my, my first part of logic is to say, not everyone is going to stay in the United States army the rest of their life. We all have to get out to some point. This is fact. This is not a lifelong career. You have, well, well, you know, if, if obviously they've sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice, then yes, that's lifelong because it didn't last long. But if you get out, whether you get out before your time is to retire or retire, but you have to get out by a certain time and then something else has got to take the place because I can tell you right now, I've met individuals who have showed up to their SFL tap appointment and did the finance part and then realized, oh no, I'm going to have to find something that makes a substantial amount of money so I can continue to live the level of lifestyle I live now. And it, and it puts them in shock and awe, uh, or they're looking for other ways to kind of continue their service just so they can figure things out. Well, my question is always, well, what is your job going to translate to once you get out? Now you could probably already imagine the individual I was talking to is considered to be a combat arms type individual. And, don't get me wrong. There are many, there, there are jobs out there do associate in the civilian sector to some of the combat arms, but not nearly as much as you would think. And a lot of times, yeah, I can show that I can lead people through the, uh, through what I did in my, in my job, but what's the credentials? What's allowing me also to say on, you know, on the paper side of, oh yeah, well, not only did this person was able to do this over here physically, but also they've been taught formally. So I'm able to correlate. To me, if I was a business owner, 
that allows me logically to say, okay, I have two people. One of them just has military experience. The other one has military experience, but also sought out an education to accommodate that. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going with the one who has the military experience and education. But then again, depends upon the person, you know, and things like that. It's just, to me, that's the logical way of thinking. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's why logic's important because, and, and so you understand that, but it's also because, you know, you have a lot of experience within the military to help you understand and be able to use logic effectively as a tool of influence because, you know, that newer soldier might not have that kind of experience to try to sway somebody, to try to influence somebody's thinking. Yeah, exactly. All right. So hey, we're going to move on to number two, Ed. And yes, I'm, I'm going to give an example that I feel and number two also is used for number three and number four in when I use it. All right. So number two is inspiration, suggesting what may happen as opposed to fact-based reasoning. This appeals to emotions more than logic, right? So if if I'm emotionally invested, they say, and we've talked about this before. We talked about this when we use experiential learning model. That allows people to relate to it, so then they have feeling attached to it, which allows them to want to do it more versus if it's just logical. Well, logic doesn't have any correlation to me, so I'm not as swayed by it. What I would definitely say is, for instance, I do the first sergeant PT thing. And using that, I try to use inspiration, much like participation and uplifting, but I try to use the inspiration of their abilities and how how they feel right now, where they're at, to where they will be when they complete the program that I've designed for them. Mm-hmm. The one way I do it is I've already had, you know, I already had people start the program with me and have unbelievable success. Plus, at the same time, I've had success and grown through it too. So I can use those feelings of emotion towards that to help them want to do it more. Uh, and I like to relate it to successes they've had because if you can if you can relate it back to a success, you know, uh, you know one of the easy ones Ed would be, "Hey, did you know how to ride a bike right off the bat?" But you had to and, and, and you know a lot of times they'll say no. And then the answer would be, well, but you had to learn, right? And it took time. And then once you learned, man, you were all over the place and you loved it because you felt like a sense of freedom and all this. You can relate things like that and people tend to understand and they have an emotional attachment to it. Yeah. And then the, also, so when you're, you know, let's say with your PT program, if they see an improvement, no matter what it is, if they do one additional push up. That emotional response is something that they're going to want to duplicate and feel again. And, you know, that winning streak is is a way to inspire them to do better. Exactly, man. And to me, that's kind of the direction I wanted to go with them. But, hey, let's move on. Let's see what we got next. Oh, next is participation. Asking a number of questions where the answers will lead the other person to draw his own Conclusion, this. So this is a uh, great skill for a counselor, for a mentor. This is something that um, we know the Bearded Ninja excelled at. 
this is basically using um, questioning, which some great examples of good questioning to help with this would be from Bloom's Taxonomy, which is something we use as instructors. But it basically, you use these questions to develop with them and, and to get to the conclusion. So when we're doing counseling, we're using these questions to basically get them involved in the counseling to reach our desired in-state or their desired in-state. So if their desired in-state is getting promoted, I can't influence them by saying, all right, well, you'll do this, you'll do this, you'll do this, you'll do this. But through questioning, well, what do you think is a reasonable time for you to get promoted in all oh, this long? Okay, well, what are some things you know that your shortfalls are? Well, how can we improve those shortfalls? Now we're asking a series of questions about their shortfalls college. Oh, I can enroll in a class. Oh, well, how many do you think you can manage at once? Well, I could probably manage two. Okay. So if you do two, boom, boom, boom. And you develop that timeline with them through those questioning, they are participating. And in the words of the famous bearded ninja, therefore you have buy-in. It's not my yes. uh, timeline. It's our timeline, your timeline that you help me develop. So we use my knowledge, my understanding of what it takes to get promoted, coupled with your knowledge of yourself, your your emotional intelligence, your self-awareness, and we get you somewhere. And, and to me, that's what participation uh, is as an effective influencing um, tool. I, I agree with you, Ed. And I think a good way to be able to do those questioning, if somebody's like, well, you know, how do you do, to do the questions? If you can get them to answer the five, or no, we've now we have six. If you go back and listen to the smart smart goals episode, we have those six <laughs> those six questions to be asked. If you can get them to answer that, then there's the buy-in. There's the oh, it's it's their idea. They're coming up with it. You're just helping them flow through it, right? Now there are times though in that that you could use if you you know if you're thinking oh that's not going to work that way, you can use some logic to help shift it a little bit. Maybe a little inspiration to help shift it another way. So you can use, you can use them interchangeable, and that's what, and that's where I'm getting at with. I said earlier, inspiration, participation, and then the very next one we're going to talk about uplifting. I try to use all three of those for that particular PRT program. Right? I ask the right questions to get them to realize, okay, this is where I need to be. For instance, where do you think your two mile time needs to to be at? When you hit the halfway point, all right, how do we achieve that? Well, I have to run this amount of time to say, okay, well, what if we broke it down even further and you, you started matching your times to this and that, and then they tend to realize, oh, there's a mechanics here. You know, you, Ed, you would be shocked on how many kids that I've, I've trained that it, I don't, I just don't understand. They've never learned how to do their time splits, right? So really? I, yeah, you would be shocked, man. Instead, they just run it all out. They get to the halfway point to figure out what time it is. Like, oh, crap, I got to hurry. Instead of, like, I break it down by the quarter mile. That's that's how I do it. I look at it quarter mile by quarter mile by quarter mile. And if if I'm hitting my splits, I know how fast to go. Now, yeah. I'm at a point now, though, because I use my Garmin, that I actually, I watch my pace very closely. If I want a certain time, I watch my pace. Now, I also know... I have a threshold that I'm not going to go beyond, but you would be shocked. And if you use, if you're actually using the right questioning to help them along, then you can lead into that 
And that to me, that's that whole using facts, you know, for the logic and maybe even inspiration to get an emotional attachment to it. So, but yeah, absolutely. Participation. It's uh, I think that's a, that's a very important one. That's a very important tactic to use for effective influencing. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and again, the key there to me is if I'm using participation is the buy-in because it's not being dictated and it is a participation. And, you know, I, I think that to me that anyway, that's really the big key is the buy-in. Exactly. So, so we're going to jump on to the next one then. So what is the next one, Brian? Uplift. Uplift. Making someone feel good about him or herself and start listening to you. So that was the key thing that I, I discussed with my commander. So my commander, every time we did First Sergeant PRT, every time my commander, if he was available and he didn't have to go take care of something, which I have always hated that excuse, I got to go take care of something. Usually the only time yeah. he had to, <laughs> he literally had to, like no joke, he had to go somewhere and go do something or he had to go do PRT, say with the brigade commander or whatever. That's the only time he wouldn't show up. I think there was one time he was sick. And I understand because he's he's a hardworking, he's a good commander. I'll tell you that. Um, but what I told him was, is so one of the key things is I always hated this. I and and I was a I was a I was a violator of this back in the day when I felt like I was toxic. But making people feel bad because they're there only makes them feel bad, mm-hmm. and and it just breeds a negativity. Yeah. But if you make them feel good about the accomplishments accomplishments they're making at the actual event and actually what they're doing, it actually helps them. And they will actually listen to you more because you, you're basically saying, Hey, see, look what you're doing. This is amazing. You got to keep doing this so you can do this. And they start listening. Sometimes they even start asking you the questions needed to help them understand even further. Now I've had, you know, the occasional quiet person who, they don't really talk to you, but you can tell the gears are turning because they're showing improvement. When I say I went from at 15 failures to zero failures. Now, it took me right about six months, but 15 to zero. That's- that, that shows that, yeah, I, and I think it comes down to the attitude, right? How people, you know, uh, if a soldier feels like they're comfortable to walk up to the first order and have a conversation with them, that's a good atmosphere. So I think a lot of this has to do the type of atmosphere this person breeds. Now, they also know if they get in trouble, it's going to be a lot different type of conversation, right? And then we're going to jump into some of the other areas of influence. But why Why do I want to make that? They already feel bad because of what happened. Normally, most of them. I'm going to say 95%. <laughs> you have that 5% who really just don't care. And, and then that's where I assist them in their <laughs> movement exiting the army. Yeah. So when you talk about uplift, I mean, you're just talking about positive reinforcement. That's all that is telling somebody, Hey, you did a good job with that. Whatever it is, you know, this is one that I, I like to use this one when I have the opportunity. And then when I was at the ANCO Academy with you, I mean, it was, you could do this. You could say, Hey, you did really good on that exam. That was an excellent job or whatever it was they did. You know, we used to do the practice week for PRT and then we would do the graded week. And even though I'm not going to see the, the end result later or the result later, when they go, 
you know, you keep your scores from the practice and then you do the score for the real, the graded one, and you tell them, man, you went up 15%. That's excellent. You did a good job. It shows your hard work. Moving forward, I, that's that's a win. That's you you made them feel good about whatever it was they did to achieve the better uh, desired results. So, uh, yeah, I think uplifting is is a good way to influence people because you you make them want to do better again. They they like that that you know that euphoric feeling that they get from being told they did a good job. So I like to use here we go again asking questions to answer, you know, to get an answer and to make it to uplift them. So how I've, I've been doing it lately. And so obviously if my soldiers are listening to the show, they'll know that I've used this tactic on them. If they took <laughs> the, if they took the ACFT, I asked him a specific question. And I actually asked you this. I'll ask him, did you go all out on everything or did you save some in reserve because you were worried about not performing at other ones? And what was your answer, Ed? Uh, I don't remember what I told you. I can tell you, though, right now that there were certain events I did go all out on and then others mm-hmm. I was like, I got to hold back just a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, deadlift all out, push-ups yeah. all out. But that sprint drag carry because that event is got it's so complex. There's so much to it. I probably had something left in the gas tank. So when I went uh-huh. to Fort Benning, I call it the Fort Benning School for Boys because we didn't allow they didn't allow females there at the time. Now that's yes. changed, but so when I went <laughs> to basic training at the Benning School for Boys, the drill sergeant would literally tell you at the end of your your Army physical fitness test that if you didn't throw up, you didn't you didn't give everything. So he would actually make us run additional laps until we threw up. Because that's how I wow. knew you gave a maximum effort. So I did not throw up at the ACFT after any event. So, uh, but that sprint drag carry, yeah, no, I held back a little bit there um, mm-hmm. for that event. But push-ups, I know I can do push-ups. And I know I can deadlift, you know, the required weight. So those things, I just did the maximum. Well, I didn't maximum push-ups, but I put a maximum effort into because I know I can mm-hmm. do them. You know what I mean? The variable was that that sprint drag carry. I'd never done it before other than in practice. And I w- there was some uncertainty. So I held back. <laughs> well, and, and this is the thing I loved hearing your answer because it's very much like the answers I've received when I use this tactic. So I used the tactic to ask them the question and then I turned it around and uplift. I use uplifting to make them feel good about themselves by saying, and see, now, you know, you are capable of doing even more. And I know you're going to do an amazing job the next time, right? So it, it gets in their head. And then they start thinking, oh, yeah, I could do. You know, I've had, I've had a, uh, just recently, I had somebody say to me, hey, when are we going to do this again? I haven't even got the whole company through it yet, you know? And I've already <laughs> asked me, when are we going to get to do it again? Because they want the chance to step up to the plate and do better, right? That's uplifting. That's what uplifting does to people. And I can tell you right now, from a personal uh, standpoint, I got a certain score. I know I can get a much higher score now. It was just, it's the uncertainty. Sometimes we're uncertain yeah. of knowing what's going to happen or we're scared that it's going to be too much and we're not going to be able to make it. So that's exactly why I say, hey, yeah. you know, just 
give it your all next time. You know where you stand now. But to me, that's a form of uplifting, and that's how it works. I mean, you know, uncertainty breeds a lack of confidence, and I had heard so much from other people, and so that uncertainty did. I wasn't confident enough in the sprint drag carry to go all out. Like, you know, for the sprint, the I did a jog drag carry. I didn't do no sprinting. Um, so, yeah, that, that uncertainty just breeds a lack of confidence that then – you know, made made me hold back on that event. So, but uplift is good. It's good to hear. All right, maybe not some of my some of my coworkers. Hey, that's pretty good for an old guy. Like that's <laughs> that's uplifting, but it's not the greatest yeah. example of uplifting. Like that's good for your age. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uplifting does it does work. And, and sometimes you know you never know. Hey, we did an episode. We talked about suicide, and we got one. We're going to do again. Yep. Um, you never know where that soldier, that 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 coworker's thought process is, and you just told them they did a good job, and that may have been the thing they needed to push them mm-hmm. in a different direction. You know what I mean? So I believe you never know what your words could. Yeah, do. I believe in the power of positivity. Positivity works now bubbly positivity we had the discussion about that before i don't think that's as effective i think sometimes people see through that i think most time people do and people get annoyed with it but i think uh, especially as a leader your positivity towards your subordinates is very effective yeah genuine hey, let's, let's what's this this next one though oh this is a good one for me to have also uh because I, I got a pretty good example of it but this is the deal and it's offering, basically, it's offering something in return for something. And in the equal opportunity world, we talk about quid pro quo being a bad thing, which is Latin for this, for that. But in this environment, when we're at, as influencers, quid pro quo can help you get a desired uh, result. And I've told the story before of my first sergeant who said, hey, we're going to do the Army physical fitness test on an extended scale. And if you beat me, you get my first class seat. That's quid pro quo. You give me your maximum effort. I give you my first class seat. And it's open to anybody, whoever gets it. Um, Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So he motivated people. Yeah, we don't want to take this too far because also within, you know, sometimes people see quid pro quo um, because we also talk about this for our sharp sexual harassment, sexual assault yep. training is you, you, you're not allowed to use quid pro quo to earn, you know, a sexual favor, things like that. Yeah. We know that, but there are ways to, you know, I mean, there's so many cool things you can do uh, to offer up a prize, so to speak, to get better performance. And you would see, yeah. for instance, I've had, I've had it where somebody out of the blue said, Hey, We've got this duty that just came up out of the blue. We need some people to fill it. My first step is not to volunteer somebody. I don't volunteer people. I offer up who would be willing to volunteer for X, Y, or Z. And they know usually when they do that, something is going to be attached to it to benefit them. You would be shocked. Exactly. <laughs> I offer up certain types of things. Uh, not too long ago, I, and I always check on my commander first because he is the one who can say yay or nay on things, not me. When people offer up things, I say thank you. I I had a text message personally uh, made up and set up 
that I just copy and paste it and I just to each person as they would come in and offer it or through through the messaging. And I would send those individuals a personal text saying, your commander and I would like to thank you for volunteering, for helping out the organization. We want to offer you a three-day pass to be used in the first quarter of this year. So powerful. You know what I'm saying? But they didn't, they didn't know that was coming their way. But after a while, right, and dealing with us, they see, they know if they do something for the organization, the organization is going to do something back for them. And that is a good, positive, uplifting, but also dealing. I mean, so really, Brian, in my opinion, the powerful part's not you offering them time off. And in which you, your example, the powerful thing to me is thank you. That's mm. that yeah. gratitude that you and your commander show through that message. That's really what's powerful. Now, time off, we always say, hey, if a soldier messes up, take their time. It's the most valuable resource they have. They, they, they value their time. So when you give it back, well, it's the same, right? They value uh, additional time. So those are, those are pretty good deals. Uh, uh, good examples of quid pro quo. Like I said, unfortunately in the military, we've given it kind of a negative because it's part of the, you know, the sharp and the EO program, like uh sexual harass, sexual assault program. But we, it is a, it can be a positive. I mean, I, my wife and I use quid pro quo, like, Hey, you cook dinner. And if you cook dinner, I'll do the dishes. Okay. So it's this for that. You do this. I'll do that. Same thing. And, and it influences my wife to cook dinner when I don't feel like it. <laughs> I love it. Hey, so yeah. So this one's, this next one's a good one, Brian. What do you got for us? So this one, and it's really short in what they're saying with this particular tactic and it's called favor and it's asking <laughs> for something you want. Basically, you know, it's kind of like saying, Hey, can you do me a favor? Now I would tell you, because we're now in the bottom five, the bottom half now of these tactics, this can only be implemented a little bit. You can't use it all the time. Because it, and no. I've I've seen people do this, and it drives me crazy. Hey, can you do me a favor? Hey, can you do me a favor? I'm like, well, it's no longer a favor because you asked it so many times. To me, a favor is every once in a blue moon, like maybe maybe once a month if you're lucky. I don't know, but. When you ask, hey, can you do me a favor? How important is that favor, right? It's how you express that that favor is. For instance, let's go back to I asked for somebody to volunteer for duties. I'm asking oh, yeah. for a favor for the organization. I, I mean, technically, I could just tell somebody you're going to do it, right? Yeah. Of course, they can always come back and say, hey, where's the DA6, blah, 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 you know. But oh, instead, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But instead, I'm asking for a favor that's going to be turned into most likely uh, some type of gift in return, right? So, and that's and that's where I'm getting. So, you have to be very careful about those favors. I've met I've met people who use favor entirely too much, and they just need to stop. And the thing, a way to combat combat that is, you got if I ask you constantly for a favor, like, and then you ask me for a favor and it's like no oh all right yeah that's damaging that's damaging to the to the whole thing so it's more to me it's more kind of this is kind of blurry with quid pro quo because like if i asked you for a favor and then you asked me for a favor it's still something for something you know what i mean but as far as the leadership 
I think when you say a favor, like you said, you can dictate and say, hey, you're going to pull duty. But when you've built over time and space your leadership capital with your organization and you come to them and say, hey, I really need a favor, they're more apt to say, yeah, absolutely, because you've built that kind of leadership capital in them. So I'm tying together some other episodes that, that yeah, it, they're going to be like, yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt, I will do that favor for you because that's what you've, uh, you know, you, you've established that relationship with them. Exactly, man. And that's, and I, I love how you interjected that whole using your leadership capital because that's what you, that, that is what you're doing. You're using a little bit because really, I mean, if you haven't earned their respect, haven't earned their want to do something for you, most likely that favor is going to get turned down. And it often turns down, well, I, you know, and I, I've always, I've always liked this answer too, is, well, uh, I had, I had something planned for then. I don't know if I'll be able to. And that's what I say. And then, you know, as a leader, yeah, as a leader, I'd be like, well, exactly. Well, what do you have planned? You know, can we work around it? You know, and watch them squirm a little bit sometimes because <laughs> sometimes they don't actually have something planned. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, I like using the favor, but sparingly. And, and again, yeah, you have to, and you don't want to exhaust your leadership capital by excessively asking for favors. That's just, that's just to me, plain and simple leadership. Like, I can't constantly say, hey, do me a favor. Hey, do me a favor. And you really can't pick that same person in your organization that to do it all the time. Sometimes you got to eliminate them. So if I got, I need something, I'm going to ask somebody to do me a favor. But this time it's not going to be Andy because Andy always says yes. You know what I mean? So I need somebody else to step up to the plate uh, for favor. Hey, so this next one, Ed, I'm, I'm excited for you to get into it. I, I, this is another one I would say is to be used very sparingly also. And mm. let's just get into it. Yeah. So this, this is very much a definition almost of influence using the view of other people to influence someone. So this is, you know, I've talked about having that one soldier that influences everybody's mood. Right. So if I can get I now I know if I can get buy in from that one soldier for this particular thing, then that could spread and help me to influence the rest of the team. Another good example. This is, uh, you know, when you think about somebody who's on jury duty, right? Jury duty, they can influence everybody. You got that collective. You got one or, you know, three or four people that think one thing. And they're trying to get that influence to spread across all of them to get to whatever the verdict uh, desired out in state is. So this is, yeah. And this is also, to me, it goes back to knowing your people, knowing the people that work for you, knowing the people on your team mm. well enough to know how you can kind of leverage the view of certain groups or cliques within that organization to influence the rest of the team. Oh yeah. Uh, real quick before I, I make the comments on what I wanted to with that. What, do you remember the movie that you all watched? Oh, what is it? It was the movie y'all watched. 12 angry men. Thank you very much. <laughs> 12 angry men. I think that's a good example of the collective. Yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, that's kind of why we use it too. We, and we're not teaching influence, but we are teaching about uh, group think. 
which is what that that video is. But yeah, it's twelve angry minutes, an old movie, excellent movie though. Oh yeah. Now, and what I wanted to add to the collective thing is. I noticed you said something about getting to know your team, getting to know your people. And this, I think, falls on that whole understanding the di- the group dynamics, which I think we're going to have to get into at some point later down the road um, to help people understand group dynamics and how to develop those. But one of the things that we've talked about before, though, is the informal leader. And within a group, there's always that informal leader. And that informal leader kind of has, he has, it's almost like he has sway of, what other people think and do, especially let's put it this way. There's always a dominant E4 in in the army. There's that special, there's one specialist that kind of dominates and his decision will sway others. So what I like to do is I like to figure out who that person is. That's, that's like one of those in any organization here. Matter of fact, I've got a barracks. I've got a, a, one of my barracks managers, uh, but he's the floor manager for my junior enlisted. I put him in charge of that because I know of that informal leader, right? And I knew that he was one of those. And I thought, oh, I'm going to use that because he's that informal leader and people aren't going to want to disappoint him within his group. And sure enough, I don't have a problem with my barracks floor. You know, uh, it's nice to know that he's making sure things are done. And every once in a while, I say, hey, how's xyz going and he'll be like oh this blah 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 we're doing this and i'm like nice (laughs) but i but you put people in that position and if you get to know who that informal leader is you get buy-in from them you're going to get buy-in from the rest and it's i'm i've seen it time and time again and i've used it myself so that collective actually works so i had specialist mitchell and and that was her role that was almost her most dominant role in my organization was you know, she was that strong, powerful E4 and never realized. Oh, man. I wish I could have got her to realize it, though, Brian, because I think she'd have been a good NCO if she could have got, like, there's some things she wasn't in compliance with uh, doctrinally, but she could have been a good NCO because she just had that kind of influence over her peer group uh, that I think would have spread and she'd have been amazing. So, I, I like I said, I think collective works well, Ed, but you have to use it sparingly mm-hmm. because you don't want to. You don't want always uh, to persuade people using another person because then it kind. I think it kind of takes away from the power base, also. Yeah, which kind of leads me in the next two, but I'm going to do the next one, and you get the final one. Right. So this next one, Ed, tactic number eight of effective influencing is policy, and what it has what they have to say here is authority is effective is a quick response to a problem. It is very blunt and sometimes provocative. For instance, here's a great example. A great example. All right, let's hear it. Uh, for instance, I don't, know, I don't know if you guys have this rule there, but here we have the blue book, and in the blue book it states that if you're going to have your hat and gloves on walking around, you're supposed to also have an outer, a jacket of sorts. So it, may, it prescribes a uniform a certain way. Yeah. One of the easiest things uh, for me to correct somebody, to influence them in a direction, if I see them and let's say they're walking around with just a beanie on, no gloves, no jacket, I will approach them and say, hey, are you aware of what the policy is on wearing that beanie? And they'll rattle it off. And I'll be like, so what's the right thing to do? And they tell me what the right thing is to do. I said, all right, make sure it happens. And that's it. Hmm. 
That's interesting. That, that was the policy. So we don't have a blue book here. That was the policy at Fort Drum, though. When I was at Fort Drum, New York, that was the policy. Um, but the other one, you know, you, you, you're going to trigger me. You're going to mess around and trigger me. <laughs> the beanie. Because there's a policy on the temperature of the beanie being worn, too. And these soldiers, it will be 45 degrees, and these soldiers will still have that beanie on. Drives me bonkers. But, yeah, no, there's definitely a policy. And so policy is always a good thing to understand. Now, granted, some things were written a long time ago. But, you you know, when you're influencing, this isn't where you want to go. You don't want to say, hey, you have to do X, Y, and Z because policy letter, da-da-da, or army regulation, da-da-da, states. You know what I mean? That's not... It's not really the preferred. It's like a backup. So policy is like big brother. And then the ninth one is like dad. You know, is that, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if that makes sense. No, it's like you. dad then. Oh, yeah. Well, in, in the way I, I the way I explained it there too, and how I do it and how that conversation, it's not like one of those where I, I see somebody across the street and I scream at them and say, hey, you, come over here, blah, 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 and yeah. jump to them out. Come and here, I you. Like use, <laughs> I like to use a little bit of logic in there, and I like to use participation. So the logic being is it's factual, right? It's factual. They can find that policy yep. in the blue book. And then the participation is is me asking them the questions to, to get them to answer the question because if they know the answer to the question, then they know how to make the, the situation correct. I mean, they could, and they could be newly assigned to the area. Maybe they don't know the policy. You know what I mean? So, I mean, when you ask questions like you do, you're, you're helping, you're educating them. You're providing them with some uh, knowledge that maybe they didn't have before. Maybe they did. Maybe they were out of blue books and they didn't get one. Maybe they haven't read it. Uh, and, and, you need and, a PDF file. Huh? on your phone get in pdf file put it on your yeah but you know what i mean like maybe they're not knowledgeable yeah. at this point <laughs> yeah exactly no it, and I, I feel the same way man like i i'm not one to like skull drag somebody just to you know I, uh, let's use some let's use a little bit of uh common sense and and using the right leadership tactics or of influencing to help somebody understand yeah but hey this next one this is probably one of those one you and I both stay away from often and don't really use it. I mean, it's, it literally says in the definition. So go ahead, man. So we're at number nine, Brian, and I would encourage you to not always use the force. <laughs> uh, number nine is force. So you're basically exercising power. Always a last resort so i just said that policy is big brother this is dad if i gotta go in the house and get my dad then there's gonna be a lot of problems and, and i don't want to do that all right so that's kind of the last uh resort to try to influence somebody because you're not building any kind of leadership capital you're really not hurting yourself or helping yourself in fact if you got to resort to quoting policy letter and using force at this point, you're probably damaging your credibility and influence more than you're helping it. Now, are there situations where this could be necessary? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that, you know. Um, but you kind of want to steer clear of this one. Oh, yeah. Now, if possible. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to back up a second 
Number seven, we said was collective, and it's using the view of other people to influence someone, right? But I think okay. people make a mistake by making this very comment. And the colonel said to do this. That is oh, yeah. that is not yeah. using collective. That's actually using force. No. And people don't realize it. And they're and they're basically using the word of somebody else to get them to do something. Yeah. Or the general said do this. Or the commander said we need to do this. Instead, own it, do it, take it on as yourself and figure out how to deal with these things. So that's that's one of those things where um, I think people may would, would be confused. Or hey, let's put it in the civilian sense. Um, the CEO said to do this or uh, the yeah. the uh, the manager said to do this. No, you're, you're now you're exercising power because you're using their power to get people to do what you want them to do. You're you're ex- and damaging your own. Oh, yeah. You're losing. Well, I think you with that, you're losing leadership capital. Yeah. You're hurting your own power base. And this is something, oh, man, I, I learned this in the professional leader development course way back in 2007-ish, six, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Then never, ever say the quote. So if, if Brian, Brian's my first sergeant, right? And I'm a sergeant. And he says, I wish. Hey, Haley. He says, hey, sorry, Haley, you need to go to the motor pool and you need to get them soldiers in formation. Then I go down there and say, hey, everybody, first sergeant said get in formation, mm. right? I look weak. I'm using you. Why can't I, as a sergeant, I'm all, I'm a sergeant, go down there and say, hey, let's go. We need to get in formation. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And then I can explain the why. Yes. I don't have to use you as the the reason for the formation, but I can say, first son will be here in a couple minutes. He wants to talk to us. Now, I use my power to put them in formation, got them in it gathered, and then I told them why they're in the formation, and now we're standing by waiting on you while you fart around on your phone for 20 minutes before you actually show up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Exactly. Yeah. Did I did I end up saying, hey, first sergeant? Uh-huh. Yes, I did. After I got them where I wanted them, I we talked about providing a why, and we're going to do a whole episode on the why, yeah. uh, probably at some point, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But I, I gave them a why, but I gave them a why after I executed my own power. I didn't use the first sergeant's power. All I say is, hey, we need to get in formation. And if I have that leadership capital with them, they're probably going to get in formation without any questions asked. Hey, Sergeant Haley wouldn't tell us to get in formation unless something was going on important. Mm. You know? Oh, yeah. And then I tell them the why. So just an example. Uh, I was never a sergeant with Brian uh, since I've known him. but And I never worked for him like that. But anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you should be glad you didn't. Just put it that way. You'd have loved me. You'd have loved me. I'd have been in your, I'd have been in your orderly room so you could keep me closer. Nah, uh, probably. <laughs> uh, so, but you know, one of the things though, Ed, I, I want people to really think about, and I mentioned this to you in conversation before we started uh, recording this. Is to me when I see these nine tactics of effectively influencing others, I see these as an escalation of force. Right. Mm-hmm. So one. Is kind of you know that that's like that's your starting ground in a sense. If you're observing things, behaviors, and actions, and 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 verbal uh, whatever going on, and you're noticing one is not going to work, number two is not going to work, three is not going to work. Wait, I got to go all the way down to number five possibly. Then so be it. But 
Yeah. Once you go to nine, there's no going back to five. Once you use force, <laughs> really a lot of dealing going to go on, you know? So you think about, or once you use force, there's not going to be a lot of collective happening there. I definitely want to tell you listeners out there, make sure you think about this as escalation of force. Meaning let's go with the lightest thing that's going to, it's going to help persuade because persuasion is power. Believe that. And then we intensify it as we go. You know, I don't, ju- we don't just start shooting at people, right? Mm-hmm. We have, we have steps we go through before we just start shooting. Yeah, absolutely. The author right here, and I, I kind of like this part too, because this kind of touches upon um, another great author that I think we need to look at down the road. But part of using each of these tactics well is setting the appropriate atmosphere. And we've talked about this all the time, Ed. We talked about the environment and the mm-hmm. culture. Uh, it, are you approachable or, or not? That's one of those things. What Stephen Covey calls the psychological air. In his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Creating the psychological air begins by getting to know your audience. You start by listening. So let's shut that mouth and open those ears. Bam. This not only helps you get to know the person, but... When a person feels heard, they are more likely to listen in return. Just as influencing others appears to be a simple equation at first, listening appears simple, but takes skill and intentionality to do well. So you think about this, right? If I'm listening and I'm understanding what's being said around me and I'm learning these people, I'm going to be able to effectively use logic where it needs to go. I'm going to be able to effectively use inspiration, participation, uplift, deal, favor, collective, policy, force. It doesn't matter which one. It does if I understand the situation, but if I'm just going in blindly, not going to work, right? So that's part of that whole, for you to be able to use escalation of force, you need to be able to understand the atmosphere or the operational environment, possibly, Mm -hmm. to be able to properly employ the right thing. What do you say, man? Yeah, I mean, the author, the whole thing is pretty good. I actually agree with you, too, that we should probably maybe look at those seven habits uh, of effective people. Um, But we talked about knowing your organization, knowing the people on your team, right? It's no different than knowing your audience. You need to know the people and, and who you're trying to influence to develop the proper way because there's no cookie cutter solution. You can't. The way I influence one group might not be the way, you know, I might I might use number two to influence this guy. Number five might work with this guy. This guy's a hardhead. I might have to actually use number eight. So you got to look at that. But that comes through understanding uh, your people and having enough knowledge to assess them and, and, and use the correct tactic to influence that particular person for your desired end state. And I definitely would say that what this author has to say at the very end, I find to be pretty much what we've talked about. It's almost like as if like we're just finding stuff to back up what we've, we've encountered and how we went about things. So here we go. Influencing others is a powerful tool in business and in life that is essential for every manager and leader to develop to be successful. In the process, it will create a healthier, more productive atmosphere of collaboration in the workplace where everyone can win. 
and work is done effectively and efficiently. Mm. It's important to remember that you don't have to start out with a natural talent for influencing others to become effective at using these tactics. Learning is a process, and the tactics of influencing others will give you the tools to start developing your abilities. But it will be up to you to put in the work and continue to develop skills on your own. It will take time and hard work to master the ability to influence others well, but it will pay enormous dividends in your life and career. That's, I mean, that's going right. I mean, we might as well took that right there and said, that's our mission statement, Ed. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, you think about it. I mean, it talks about a lot of stuff that we really uh, focus on, you know, such as learning is a process. And it talks about over time. Uh, I mean, we talk about lifelong learning and how it can influence us. Well, we use that to influence us so that we can better understand how to influence others. So, you know, we've always mentioned lifelong learning as a big part of the process overall. Um, and, and I think, honestly, uh, influencing uh, others and understanding, I do think it's a powerful tool. And I think it's just as powerful as lifelong learning um, and, and um, emotional intelligence. These may be some of the more powerful tools, but I think they're very uh, important for you as an influencer, as a supervisor, as a team lead, whatever your role is in an organization, even as, you know, the subordinate, Schmuggatelli in the mailroom, Schmuggatelli who just started, it's still important for you to understand your sphere of influence and the importance of learning. That's it, man. I would tell you that I, I, I love what everything we had to go through there. I'll make sure uh, within the show notes, I'll add the short pieces about these nine tactics for effective influencing others and you know each one of them along with a little blurb that goes with it. Uh, but I would definitely say if you really want to kind of engage on this more, you can go to this uh, particular website that I'll, I'll, I'll tag it in the show notes. And you can go and read on your own and see see what we mean. And maybe you can even branch off and you can get into that seven habits of highly effective people. Who knows? But just like every show, Ed, I can't just allow them to just meander off and not take partake <laughs> in anything. You know, there, there always comes a task involved. And this t- particular task is just, I'm, we're just asking a question. And I'd like to see what people have for an answer because I know what my answer is, but I'm curious to see Uh-oh. what others people are. Uh, what tactics do you use often and why? So out of those tactics, you probably do use some of those. You And maybe when you answer this, be honest. And remember, it's in that closed Facebook group, so it's not like it's everybody else in the world's going to see it. You know, it's, it's obviously not shareable and stuff like that. <laughs> but be honest because what if you're saying I use policy a lot? At what point did you give participation or inspiration a chance first before you jump straight to number eight policy, right? So really think about that. I, when I uh, type out this this particular task, I'll make sure I add each one of those with a little blurb of what it is. If you forgot what it is, I mean, obviously, you, you once you read it, you be oh, I remember they talked about that. But so episode fifty nine task is what tactic do you use often? and why. What do you got for me? Anything left? Uh, yeah, I use a uh, favor the most. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't, um, uh, I do use, I think I use probably, probably participation. I don't know. I'd have to sit down and really 
do some honest uh, reflection of myself to see. But uh, hopefully everybody is enjoying these episodes. We've made them a little shorter, these last couple. So hopefully that mm-hmm. helps with your commute. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and getting through them. Uh, but yeah, continue to support us. And uh, I encourage you to check us out on all platforms of social media at one. Well, not all uh, Instagram. Yep. Right. Yep. LinkedIn, Facebook yep. and Twitter at one Oh one influence and uh, check out the website, join the closed Facebook group so that you can participate in some of these little task questions what have you. And, and a great thing about the task is you can read with others posts and maybe you will learn something you didn't know and continue to be a lifelong learner. That's what I'm talking about, man. You brought it. You brought a closing to this. Ain't got to really say much. <laughs> the only thing I would actually want to add to that is just, Hey, listen, share the show. And also if you have a chance, give us a, a, a quick, uh, um, review of the show for instance you can either do it on the facebook page 101 influence on the original facebook page you can actually do a review and rate us or go to the apple podcast and actually do it there we'd really love to be able to see what your thoughts are and and suggestions but i have nothing else ed so i am brian and i am ed and this has been the instinctive influencers podcast remember to start from the top and work your way down de-escalation of force the nine tactics of effectively influencing others thank you for listening have a great day